the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to be with you today on a Tuesday afternoon. Hope your day is going well. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, As always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. Happy Tuesday, man. Hope you're doing everything going well today. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's a day. Yeah. It's a day. Well, we're uh, glad to have you join us. Uh, Every now and then, we like to tell stories and bring out things from around the world. Usually, we can be pretty Chicagoland-centric or America-centric, but it's a good reminder for us to be cognizant of what's going on in Christianity and uh, around the world. And so this one, we figured we'd start with, the the title says this, Chinese megachurch torn down during worship service. A megachurch in Funan County of uh, the Anhui province of China was leveled Friday during a worship service. Authorities also arrested the church's two pastors. The pastors were held on charges of suspected gathering of people to disturb social order. The church was destroyed even though it was government sanctioned. No legal documents were provided to the church prior to demolition. Uh, Fuyang Christian Church, which can seat 3,000 people, was the latest uh, victim of, of the emperor's religious fascism uh, campaign. Uh, China Aid is a non national nonprofit human rights organization. They said committed to promoting religious freedom and the rule of law in China. And so a few hundred believers were actually in the church when the demolition began. Uh, and they wrote, this is yet another clear example, the pastor said. Uh, this is yet another clear example showing the escalation of religious persecution today by the Chinese communist regime. The total disregard of a religious freedom's protection as enshrined in the Communist Party's own constitution tells the whole world that President Yi is uh, determined to continue his war against peaceful, Christian, faithful. This campaign will surely fail in the end. So kind of a crazy story. Like I didn't know. Yeah, not kind of. <laughs> I didn't know a lot of this. You know that there's religious persecution in China under the communist regime, but uh, like uh, the huge mega church, while people are in it, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Does it make it crazier to you that it was so big? Uh, Only in the sense that it being so big probably meant that it was either sanctioned or it was allowed. This feels like an escalation. Uh, Not knowing. I'm making a guess. Like when I read the story, I'm going, well, obviously they knew that church was there all along. Right. It's so big. It wasn't some underground movement or anything. Correct. And he even said in the article it was a government sanction like they had okayed it already. So that does make it crazier just in the sense of, man, does that feel like an escalation 
Uh, and then you read all the stuff going on with China and Hong Kong and all the stuff. You just wonder if there's a tightening of the grip going on that, yeah. uh, for our brothers and sisters in China. It's really humbling, though, because I can't ever think of a time where a fear of anything even remotely close to this has Mm-mm. ever even entered my head. Like, there is certainly fears in the United States around faith and Christianity. I'm not saying it's devoid of that, right. but something to this magnitude has I've never thought about once in my life. No. The fact that it's happening during an actual gathering of people is all the more remarkable. In fact, it says later that the two pastors are still in prison. Yeah. And they said, unless the two leaders start to collaborate with the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda fully, they'll be likely indicted and even get a criminal sentence for their defiance of the church demolition. So mm. it's not just a, oh, man, they lost their property or, right. oh, that's crazy. These two pastors who I imagine maybe have spouses and kids are still in prison because of this. Again, not a reality that you or I have ever had to face. It's true at all. Like not even, not even close. And we've tackled this idea before how disconnected we can often be from the global church. And I wonder what, like what are the practical like nuts and bolts that we miss being in a, in a place with so many freedoms? Like, is there, is there a connection, like a heart connection to, the big C church that we often are blind to because of how comfortable we are here. I think so. I think it, it, for me, it numbs at all in awareness that there is even stuff going on outside our, like you can become numb. You know, it's like, you know, um, mentally this isn't true, but you can become numb to the fact that not everybody around the world, uh, has the safety that we do. Right. Right. That to even be behind microphones like this, I never get behind this microphone talking about Jesus and the government and other things and go, could get arrested on the way out of here. Like right, right. that's not a fear of mine. And it could become easy to become lulled to sleep to going, well, that's how it is for everybody. Like, okay. Right. And then, you know, we can become, a, we can get a martyr complex where we're like, oh my gosh, like they're not letting us do X or Y. Or like, you know, there was this article written about Christianity in America when in reality there are, there are still a lot of people facing life and death things around the world uh, that, that at the very least we need to be driven to pray for, uh, but also just to be aware of so that we can figure out ways that we can help. And just it raises the stakes again that, oh, yeah, OK, uh, this is how Christianity started. Right. Right. Like, right. You read these stories and you're like, well, that was how it was in the book of Acts, not big buildings, but other things where they're unjustly being arrested, uh, being told, you know, you've got to get in line with the government and all this stuff. And it becomes really uh, a it's a it's a scary proposition. But B, uh, also a reminder that Christianity is still flourishing it's still moving uh even in the midst of this type of persecution sometimes oftentimes even better because of the persecution well and we found this because uh, a guy named bob fu who founded china aid was tweeting out some of the different photos and videos and this is how the article ends here it says fu asked for prayers for christians in china pray that even in the midst and despite of persecution believers of christ will continue to stand strong and faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ. I love that level of courage. To me, honestly, that feels like Acts chapter four, right? Mm. When Peter and John, who had just you know spent the night in prison and then were brought before this council, told to stop preaching, they were threatened, go back to the community. They pray for boldness, signs and wonders. But before they do that, it says, Lord, consider their threats. Mm. There's like this awareness that like, hey, we know we're in very real danger here. Consider their threats. And help us to proclaim with boldness. Do yeah. signs and miracles and yes. wonders among us that blow people's minds. Like I think that 
that to me feels very, very similar. Like we, we, we know that we're in defiance here. We know that we're in real danger. And we know that praying this prayer could very well lead us to some dangerous places. But yeah. I love that that's how the article ends. I pray that even in the midst and despite persecution of believers of Christ will continue to stand strong and faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love mm-hmm. that courage and that boldness. And I'm also, I think, convicted in my own heart reading that level of perseverance and knowing like, man, if my building was just demolished with people yeah. in it, that might not be my prayer. And I, you know, that's, that's, that's really convicting. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so uh, we, as you know, Western Christians, we need to, at the very least be praying for these people. There's, they're asking for our prayers. Right. 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 Uh, so this isn't just something to go in. Well, that's interesting, but like right. we need to join the fight. If we believe in the power of prayer, if we believe that this is, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you know, that, that we need to join alongside them and be praying for them and to be reminded of, you know, it's another example of how Christianity was founded in the book of Acts. You talk about how you preaching through the book of Acts basically right now. Mm-hmm. This is what we read over and over again. And it's not like that has gone away just because it's gone away for us in our right. country. Right. Which is, I, I, again, it's so hard to reconcile because if, you know, we talk a lot about there are these things that are happening globally and technologically we're more connected than ever yes. and yet it feels like we're getting more and more myopic i agree like we have more opportunity at our fingertips to learn about what's actually happening globally and yet sometimes it feels like the church gets more and more honed in on just what's happening you know in our little neighborhood which is important too you know like yep. be involved and mindful of your city but i think learning and knowing what's going on with the big C church globally is just as important 100 percent right well coming up next uh well-known atheist richard dawkins Uh, says that God informs morality and ending religion would actually be a bad idea. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, and always find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, thanks to those of you who have already done that. Uh, so well-known atheist, Richard Dawkins. I think uh, even those of us who uh, are part of the church probably read a lot of Dawkins stuff or at least have been, um, I've heard of him. I and think his so, new nickname, I think he wants to be called uh, Dickie D is what he's, that's the new <laughs> word on the street for Richard Dawkins. That's his pseudonym. His pseudonym, yeah. That's his Twitter handle. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> he's the author of a new book called Outgrowing God. And one of the world's leading atheists, I said God very, uh, very old school preacher, <laughs> I go, outgrowing God. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to raise a hand and convert, God, man. You, I was, give yeah. me your best old school God right there. God? Nope, nope, nope. I gave it to you. He's the author of the new book, <laughs> Outgrowing God. Okay. Uh, and one of, the world's, uh, one of the world's leading atheists. And uh, he interestingly, as part of this book and in his interview, says ending religion would be a bad idea. What's going on in this? I'm going to read most of it. Yeah. I'll read until one of us gets bored. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dawkins told the Times and the Sunday Times he fears if religion were abolished, it would, quote, give people a license to do really bad things. He says, people may feel free to do bad things because they feel God is no longer watching them, he said. Just as the security cameras deter, uh, deter shoplifting, he said, individuals might feel free to commit crimes without a, quote, divine spy camera in the sky <laughs> reading their every thought, which is something he's written about in the past. Uh, Dawkins told the newspapers about an experiment by Professor Melissa Bateson of the University of Newcastle. She set up a honesty box 
in a university coffee room to pay for drinks, whether coffee, tea, or milk, and placed a price list on the wall. During some weeks, she decorated the sign with pictures of flowers. Other weeks, she placed an image of a pair of eyes. People paid, quote, nearly three times as much for their drinks when eyes were displayed. She and the other researchers wrote in a paper about the experiment. That's fascinating. Dawkins discussed the experiment in his 2019 book, Outgrowing God, in a chapter titled, Do We Need God in Order to Be Good? It says, whether irrational or not, it does unfortunately seem plausible that if somebody sincerely believes God is watching his every move, he might be more likely to be good. I must say, I hate that idea. I want to believe that humans are better than that. I'd like to believe I'm honest whether anyone is watching or not. I'm going to stop there because I think that statement and that experiment is super fascinating. Are you surprised by any of that so far? Now, I was going to say, man, he has a really weird view of this. And then the experiment goes, oh, maybe it's true. Like the whole, I, I don't know of many people. I would like to think not many people see God as just kind of the great, he's just watching. And so we're going to do good things. But I, maybe it's more true than I give it credit for. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say that it's uh, it's hugely uh, surprising. What is interesting is his him going as an atheist. I wish this wasn't the case, but since it is the case, well, I might as well still have religion. It's going to give us some civil order. Yeah. Well, and it, it goes on to talk about uh, Ken Ham, who's the founder and president of the Christian Ministry Answers in Genesis, says there is irony in Dawkins' argument, which I think is interesting. He says Dawkins has spent his life fighting against God, parenthetically the God he doesn't believe even exists. Ham wrote in the Answers in Genesis website, but he still recognizes that atheism, the worldview uh, religion of Richard Dawkins, doesn't provide the foundation for morality that is needed to keep people from doing, quote, really bad things. Without a biblical foundation, anything goes. Who is to say what is right or wrong? There is no ultimate foundation. It becomes arbitrary. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. In fact, Dawkins is admitting that atheism is totally bankrupt morally, which I don't actually think Dawkins is saying. I was going to ask you. Do you that's funny. I was no. almost asked you to stop there. No. Why I, don't you think that's what he's saying? What do you think he is saying? I, Dawkins is outright saying, I, I hate that this coffee shop experiment is even in any way true of human behavior. I hate that uh, he hates the thought, I think, that people would need some sort of arbiter in the sky who's sort of spying on our every thought. I don't think he would agree at all that without biblical theology, we have no moral compass. Mm -hmm. I think he's actually written pretty extensively otherwise. So I I don't know that Ham totally nails it in his assessment of what uh, Dawkins believes. I think what Dawkins is saying is he's starting to, or has been for a while, recognizing that they're there might actually be some social benefits to a belief in this God that he, you know, claims that he does not believe in yeah. and, and self-admittedly really hates the premise in the first place because he wants to believe in like the innate goodness of humans. So yeah. I think that's those are two ideologies kind of rubbing up against each other. But I don't think he would agree with Ham's assessment that like, yeah, without the Bible. Anything goes because we've also seen the Bible used right. to have a sort of anything goes type of culture. We've seen the Bible used for all sorts of horrific acts. So, you know, I don't I don't think it's as cut and dry as really either of them are saying. Do you think that there are people people uh not people but a majority of people or a large number of people out there who the only reason they do or don't do things is because God is watching? Yes. You do. Tell me more about that. Uh I don't know that I could because I can't think of anything anyone specifically, but yep. I think there there is a um it's worth recognizing that for a lot of us, if you're a, you know, what we would call maybe a cultural Christian, mm-hmm. um, there are certain kind of bumpers like lanes in a bowling alley that we hope that this adherence to a moral code will kind of keep us heading in the right direction. But I also know, and this is, um, I'd be curious to know your experience in pastoral counseling, 
that often comes out pretty quickly that someone is feeling some level of cosmic guilt because they know that God now they're confessing to me, their pastor, right. which is a whole different kind of step and approach. There's an assumption that I'm like closer to yeah. this God than, than maybe they are, but you've I, the, you have the direct phone number. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I got yeah. the direct bat line, but I, I, <laughs> I, I think, uh, if you really peel back the layers, I think a lot of people, for me, it's the difference between like an intimate growing relationship with Jesus of Nazareth yeah. versus I don't want to make them mad mm. or I don't really want to, I don't want to cross this line or how far, I mean, even in youth ministry, how many times did you hear a kid say, how far is too far? Yep. Like we're asking the wrong question entirely. Exactly. That's not a, that's not a relationship type question. When you're asking, how much can I get away yeah. with without going to cosmic jail? And you're like, yeah. well, that's missing the point. And I think a lot of that transfers into adulthood. We're like, yeah, but it's cheating under taxes really that, but you know, like yep. it's sort of the self justification. I think those are all signposts that point towards a sort of, God as spy in the sky yeah. type of relationship. Interestingly, as a as a pastor, let me give you a chance to do some encouragement for people. So a person's driving right now going, you know what? I do kind of just see God as the, uh, the moral arbiter who just keeps me in line. And I, I do it so that he doesn't get mad at me. And now you've just mentioned this whole it's different than having a relationship with actually Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Uh, how is it different? The guy out there going, oh, that's interesting. Like, what, 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 are, what is that invitation? What is different? I, I think the word invitation, you hit the nail on the head. I think when you look at, like, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great place to start. If you really want to know the nature and heart of God, we see the full expression of Jesus Christ. First off, mm-hmm. uh, if we believe that God is love, that is a transformative realization for a lot of people. But the life that Jesus invites us into is exactly that. They're like, man, you've been living this way. You've been chasing after these things. I'm, you can keep doing it if you want. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is where real life is found. Mm. Real life is found in not like Paul writes to Timothy, not in clinging to your wealth, but in living a life of generosity, yeah. not in punching your enemy back harder. So they know better than to do it next time, but by turning their cheek and forgiving and loving and those types of things, I think can feel very shackling if we don't see them as an invitation. It's the mm. same with the 10 commandments, right? There's a prologue to the 10 commandments. People often see the 10 just as this list of do's and don'ts. Yep, it's yep. often how it's depicted. The prologue is, I am the Lord your God who brought you mm. out of slavery. I'm a relational God and I'm a liberating God. And if we miss the relational invitation and just jump to the list, mm-hmm. of course it's going to feel shackling and like some big brother eye in the sky type of relationship. Yeah. I think when we when we extract the relationship piece out of it, all of that starts to come alive. Oh, that's great, man. Way to be pastoral. Hopefully yeah, some people thanks. out there needed to hear that because I do think you're right. I think a lot of us can tend towards just God is there to kind of condemn me and make sure that I'm following the 10 or whatever the rules we put to him uh, and missing that invitation uh, to something so much deeper. Uh, If you've got any questions about that, we would love to hear from you. You could do it at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, We're pastors at heart, so we'd love to help you understand that and have conversation with you. Uh, Well, coming up next. Uh, This article says the most important virtue you always forget. Hmm. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life with Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. That's new music right there. Something I've never heard before here. Never? Mm. That's not in your uh, vein of natural music listening? I have not the first idea even what that is. It's jazzy. It does. I really like it, but I've never heard it as a rejoin for us coming mm-hmm. back at a break. Mm-hmm. Like usually 
most of them we've heard. I know you've been helping get some new music in there. Well done on that one. I feel like we should all be wearing like smoking jackets yeah, right now. And yeah. Maybe a monocle. It is amazing how much the music kind of sets the tone, at least to the beginning of the next segment. Like, okay, no, no, that was good. I'm flowing. We tend to have like a natural defiance, though, even eventually by the yes. middle of the segment there. Yes. Natural defiance to things outside of our. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, Relevant Magazine, the most important virtue that people forget. This is written by a guy by the name of Dr. Uh, Barry Corey. The most important virtue, virtue people forget. What is that virtue or how does he get to it? Well, I'm gonna, yeah, let me read some of it because it's, it's teased out. I'd be curious. Now nah, you already know what it is. You've read it. If, if someone's listening, be honest with yourself. What would you say is the most important virtue that people forget? We're not going to give the answer away just yet, but I'd be curious to give people a chance to actually respond to themselves even like, oh, I wonder what that is. It says, whenever my father prayed, he prayed out loud. As a boy, I would stand outside his study at home with my ears cupped against the door. I listened to him pray for me, for us, for the world, and to receive the Holy Spirit's unction, a word he liked to say. I felt comfort in his voice, knowing the pureness of what he did behind a closed door. As a boy, I didn't yet know that what happened behind preacher's closed doors was not always honorable. What a way to start an article, right? When my father emerged from his study, he exuded the love of Christ. His spirit of radical kindness to his family, to his colleagues, to his neighbors— and a stranger's was forged on the anvil of prayer. What a sentence. He didn't pray to be kinder. He prayed to be more like Jesus. Kindness seemed to follow that prayer. Profound and unconditional kindness was a byproduct of his passionate pursuit of Christ-likeness. It was the fruit of the Spirit. The kindness fruit showed up not just in our home, but also around almost everyone he met. I recall a few encounters with shopkeepers or waitresses when he didn't ask questions or offer encouragement when he didn't make himself receive, uh, receivable. Usually, he was unashamedly kind. So you're probably picking up on Mm. what this author is saying is this forgotten virtue, which you and I, even just last week, were kind of talking about the importance, the kind of the lost art in Christendom of kindness. Right now, it seems like the trait that's most elevated is the clapback, is the comeback, is the one-liner, is the mic drop. How many... How many mic drop moments have you seen? You, you tweeted something about that I the other day. Did, well, I was being snarky. I was like, can we stop with the mic drops? Those things are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, like I've seen people even like mic drop emoticon their own statement. And I'm like, okay. I'm not debating that your thing wasn't clever. Is that our, is that our highest aim, yeah. though, to have? Like, when did everything in Christianity have to rhyme? You know what I mean? Like, when did everything have to be, like, a lyric to a song? <laughs> like, even how he begins this, like, I remember hearing, like, listening to my father pray for me, for us, for his church, for his community. I'm not saying that people don't still definitely do that. It just feels like we don't value it nearly as much as a church, as a culture. And uh, I'm just, re- I'm really curious about that. Yeah, I just love this uh, one later. Uh, he writes, the power of kindness can do what the power of caustic arguments or arm twisting can never do. If I don't take this kindness idea seriously, especially among those with whom I disagree deeply, then how will they ever see in me the profound, reconciling, unmerited, and sin-forgiving love of Christ? Hmm. Too often we make the issue about who uh, is right. What a powerful description right. of our culture, right. Christian and non-Christian, and the difference of what this guy saw in his dad. I can't uh, help but uh, notice that the kindness uh, that that he's describing in his father is a byproduct of what he described at the beginning of a mm. prayerful, 
uh, deep connection with Jesus. Yeah. And this shouldn't surprise us as kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Right. But it's still it's still interesting to see this guy go, you know what? I saw my dad pray. Hmm. My dad would close his door. Uh, he would pray and pray and pray. And uh, I could hear him praying for me, for the church, for others. And then he'd come out, and a natural byproduct of that was kindness. Right. Like, the message of this isn't even go be kind. It is. It's one of the takeaways. Go be more kind people. Like, as Christians, we need to mirror that or or display that. But really, as kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, it really calls us to ask, how's the root connection? How's that? I think that's always an important invitation, too, because so often we preach sermons on good things. Yes. And we, we make the thing the aim. Like I would, this is maybe yes. a little controversial. I don't think the goal is to be a better prayer. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's to be kinder. I don't. I think the goal is intimacy with Christ. Yes, and the byproduct of that intimacy is an improved prayer life. Mm-hmm. Is greater kindness. Is greater generosity. I think we miss the mark when we preach to our people. Yeah, be more generous. And mm-hmm. people may be motivated by that. That's a week the problem, or two. Yeah. right? Or maybe much longer. Yeah. I think we were talking even earlier. Sometimes this fear of God watching me can sometimes, at least at a surface level, change behavior. But I don't know that that's necessarily what Jesus was going after. Yeah. Can, can I read a little more yeah, from this? Ahead, it's so well written. He says, The afternoon my father dropped off his soul-worn shoes, he asked the Armenian cobbler, whose name sounded like Kardashian, to, <laughs> to pray with him over the polished counter. He reached out, and their hands linked until the prayer was over. I kept an eye on the doorway, hoping no one would come in and catch them in the act of talking to God. I was embarrassed then, but more recently I'm embarrassed by that childish embarrassment. Those days I thought my father didn't know when to keep to himself, didn't know when to just shake hands, but now I see him more accurately, a humble man who went out of his way to demonstrate kindness to so many he encountered, not just those he knew or agreed with. His modus operandi was simple. He believed Jesus died for the Middle Eastern man changing his oil and for the elderly couple living in the house next door who probably checked none on religious affiliation surveys. Mm. As far as my father was concerned, kindness called him to love them too. He made himself receivable Though he was not always received, his friendly smiles, kind words, and waves to strangers were occasionally met with a brush off, a scowl, or even a finger. I love his kind of confession, and I can feel that confession when in my own times as a kid, like, oh, gosh, why are we praying so long at the at the restaurant table? Yes. The waitress is going to come back. They're yes. going to catch us being weird. Like, I don't know if you ever experienced any of that. Yes. Probably even now as an adult, yes. to be honest. Yes. Like, this portrayal of a man who just faithfully... Humbly, in fact, he later uh, quotes Catcher in the Rye, the same quote that I used last week. The mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. I mm. I just love that picture of kindness. Man, that line in there, he made himself receivable to everyone, even though he I I didn't hear it exactly, but even though he wasn't always received, right? Like that's that's awesome. Like that is a. That is a humbling line, and I we all know people like this, uh-huh. right? We all know people like this. Uh, honestly, coming up in November, I'm gonna. I went and saw a screening of the Mister Rogers movie, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, but why is Mister Rogers like just become like a bit of a cultural phenomenon again? It's because this is how he was, and it looks so different than even more so how we are now versus right. how we were then. It's this whole like. Kindness is a is a virtue. Yep. It's not a it's not a sign of weakness. Right. But kindness is also a fruit of the spirit. And so what what brings about fruits of the spirit? I think you said it well, intimacy with Jesus. Well, and he talks too about like pride sort of being the antidote to mm. 
kindness. You know, when we stiff arm people or when we, you know, pretend that we're cool, too cool for school, that's that's pride. That's not kindness. And this this is how he ends it. And he says, uh, I think about him today as I live in a culture increasingly skeptical of Christians and one that stereotypes them from a distance. I have learned from my father that living the Jesus way calls me as it called him to the to the winsomeness of the gospel, the path to being heard by those who do not know Christ sometimes begins through our lives of kindness, as risky and awkward as this may be. Mm. That's so good. It's a great call. You can read that at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, for Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and I feel like I stay alongside PJ, right? Our, our producer. Oh, yeah. PJ. Part of the team. Part of the team, PJ. The P and PJ stands for part of the team. <laughs> One word. Yes. Hi, my name is part of the team. Part of the team, John. John. Hyphenated. Yeah, yeah, lots of hyphenation. So uh, we're excited that you're joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com, and find our podcast wherever it is you find podcasts. Well, at Relevant Magazine, they wrote uh, a list says this five things you need to know before having your first kid. So you and I are in different spots here. Uh, my kids are getting a little bit older, still in the house, obviously, but, but I mean, both of our older. kids are getting older. That's the valid that's the nature of valid point. time and age. Uh, I, have a, I have a sophomore <laughs> in high school, a sixth grader, and a fifth grader, and you have ones that you are thinking, oh, they'll go to school one day. <laughs> oh, they're in sixth grade already. Yeah, they're really advanced. Grade. They're young, but advanced. And so He's this, getting bullied a lot, though. That's, uh, it's tough. It's yeah, tough. it's really <laughs> The potty training is an issue there, right? <laughs> Especially the public schools, right? <laughs> and so Austin Bonds wrote this article, Five Things You Need to Know. Let me just read the beginning of it, and then we'll jump into these five things. He says, Growing up in the church, I listened to numerous teachings each Sunday, from sin to salvation, Sabbath to the Samaritan, sanctification to the sacraments. A lot of S's. A lot of it. It's well wow. done right there. That's a preacher. Those messages on parenting, though, I paid them no mind as I was an immature teenager trying to navigate the exact throes of adolescence intact. But that was then, and this is now. Welcome to my now. Research shows that 42% of millennial women who are between 18 and 33 in 2014 were parents. Wow. And he says, my wife and I are expecting our first child, a son, in late June. Though we've been told numerous times by family and friends since our initial announcement, the advice to us bears repeating again for all expecting parents. Everything will change. Amen. Amen. <laughs> for the two of us, this summer will encompass was funny. less dates and more diapers, less sleep and more snot, less romance and more reflux. Huh. Definitely a preacher, by the way. Definitely yes, a preacher. <laughs> uh, i got a poem for you and then we're out. <laughs> Everything will change. Everything will change. In spite of these upcoming adjustments to our lives, we are humbled and excited to pursue parenthood. Uh, Parenting is a daunting responsibility that will reshape the context. My wife and I are unearthing a few previously unknown but potent truths for this grand adventure. Here are a few things you need to know. So I appreciate this. He's not saying, I'm about to be a parent. Here's five things you need to know. He's going to go, let me pass on some of the truths people have passed on to us. Because really grinds my gears when people are like, <laughs> not parents, but write parenting books. Not, yeah. Anyway. We should save that. Save I'll that save one. Yeah. That's a good one. Pretend I didn't say that. It is pretty. I mean, I think uh, someone listening might be inclined to say, this doesn't apply to me. Either I've been a parent for a long time or they're a teenager, yep. like he's saying. I think, honestly, this is good stuff for all of us to remember, because even if this isn't your life stage, if, if you're a part of a community in any yes. way, church or otherwise, 
someone you know is in this life stage, and this will help you care for them better, too, I think, by better getting in their heads. I think about your story yesterday. You guys dedicated your child yeah, at right, church this right. week. You might be somebody in a church going, well, I don't have kids. Well, they're, the people, like when a child dedication, they're saying, help us raise our kid, yes. come around us, and these are helpful. Why don't you give us number one? All right, number one, preparation does not negate panic. <laughs> That's true. Yes. After waiting for four years, my wife and I started trying to conceive, making no mistake. We were intentional about this. Make no mistake. We, oh, I see what he's doing. <laughs> However, <laughs> he's a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> However, hearing your wife say I'm pregnant will stop any man in his tracks. I'd like to say that I embraced my wife, leaned her backwards and gently kissed her forehead after hearing the grand news. But all I mustered up in the moment was a befuddled what? That's about what I did, too, yeah. by the way. Fear gripped my soul. But then I remembered that it should occupy no place in my life. The prophet Isaiah put God's faithfulness like this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mm. This is a powerful word for any parent expecting or experienced. Though we scare easily, God quells our fears. Emmanuel is with us always. That's good. Number two, man, this one's important. Opinions can be overwhelming. That is true. In the words of Nicole Keir, I used to have a lot of opinions about how parents should raise their kids. Then I had children. (laughs) Expecting parents, moms in particular, will receive advice on sleeping habits, birthing methods, exercise during pregnancy, which gender is better, nursery design, dropping the baby weight, the right response to crying, and the like. Though fathers escape much of these opinions, their presence as a sounding board is a mighty virtue. Mm -hmm. In fact, simply being present, i.e. physical proximity, is an indication of remarkable love towards her. Paul articulates this truth in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In summary, some opinions will be valued higher than others. Who's in your circle of influence? What advice matters? Which is such an important question because I think the vast majority of people who have given us advice, I think did so with wonderful motive. Absolutely. And now seeing on the receiving end how some of that was really hard for my wife to like navigate through like well, who's right or who do I listen no to doubt. some of it can come across kind of shamey even though I don't think they meant it that way those two questions who's in your circle of influence what advice matters most mm. that's really good this is a, another great one friendships will falter if squeezing work church exercise chores dates meals and sleep into 24 hours isn't enough for our current to-do list the arrival of a child will be nothing short of a game changer in terms of time <laughs> management consequently relationships with existing friends will become strained as a newborn requires immense attention for many months that's really really important then he yep. goes on to quote one of my favorite verses of all time proverbs 27:17 as iron sharpens iron so one person mm. sharpens another use the calendar to schedule time with these important people again yeah. something my wife is very very good at prioritizing like nope these are my lifers yeah. they're worth the time yeah I remember we had our first child before most of our friends had children, right, and that right. was really a game changer. Oh, I'm it, sure of it. To be the first one out of the blocks, you're like, oh, okay, you don't understand. They just they didn't get it, right. Yes, totally yes. understandable. Number four, parents take prece- precedence. I recently came across an article on nerd fitness. Well, I'm going to let that one sit you there. Mm. Nerd fitness. <laughs> and was immensely struck by this remark about how parenthood changes the marriage relationship. You're both much more tired, worried, and overwhelmed than you've ever been before. You realize how much better sleep is than sex, and you're no longer each other's top priority. Though I nod in agreement concerning the coming increase of fatigue and worry, I respectively diverge in saying that parents take precedence. In other words, my wife and I will not raise a child at the expense of our wedding vows made Mm, years ago. That's good. We are each other's top priorities. Consider this enduring principle from Solomon. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one there to help them up. I mean, whether or not Solomon wrote that or somebody was a student of Solomon's teaching, that's neither here nor there right now. He just, wrote it. Just need to say. <laughs> he wrote it. <laughs> I can't tell you're being serious. <laughs> number five. Oh, number five. All right, here we go. Uh, we are raising an adult, not an adolescent. That's good, too, man. As an adult, I have paid closer attention to the parenting messages at church I once ignored as a teenager and a college student. Incidentally... One phrase has transcended each series, a phrase that seems obvious but isn't applied well today. Parents are tasked with raising independent adults who, who can succeed on their own. In the words of Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of How to Raise an Adult, uh, this is what she says, the, the omnipresent over-involvement means kids grow to be chronologically, uh, chronologically adult while remaining utterly stunted, Ooh. dependent on parents to do uh, to not only the he- to do wow boy to do not only the heavy lifting but the lovely light ethereal dreaming as well that mm. is an important challenge even you know because mine are much younger like thinking yeah. through how how are we actually going to send them out into the world once our 18 19 20 years Absolutely. under our roof is done which i imagine you're much closer to really grappling with yeah and one of the struggles i've talked about this before is not still viewing them as a toddler or mm. a you know, young. I, I look at my my almost sixteen year old. I told her this the other day. I said, "You need to understand. Sometimes I just see you as a nine year old." Yeah, <laughs> right, like right. Making that transition. So these are really helpful. You can follow them up, find them on our Facebook page. Love to know if you think any of these are off. Uh, what might be missing? The five things you need to know before having your first kid. Well, we're glad you're joining us today, for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or find our podcast wherever it is uh, you get your podcast. So, uh, found an article on Fox News that uh, I found interesting, thought it could spur some interesting discussion, because um, I've often said, and you've said, that that. One of our hills to die on, if you will, is is uh, the abortion conversation that that I always tell people I'm very much pro-life. I want to have a conversation about what pro-life means beyond just abortion. But also when it comes to abortion, I want to go, no, that's that is that is evil and bad. And we want to talk about that. But sometimes people go, OK, is the church are Christians going to do anything or are we just going to hurl um, uh, opinions and then. Uh, not step into the pain. And I remember there was a Twitter thread a couple months ago where people were like, oh, here's what I've done. Here's what I've done. And it was really encouraging. So with that in mind, let me read this story that came across from Fox News, uh, and then we'll talk about it. A Virginia couple who went viral early the, earlier this year with their pro-life plea to pregnant women has had their dreams answered. Blake and Sarah Thomas posted a photo on about nine months ago Uh, posted a photo about nine months ago pleading expectant mothers to not have an abortion. They held up a sign that says, please don't abort. We will adopt your baby. Hmm. They posted the image in response to the passing of the New York bill on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade that legalizes abortion up to birth in many cases. We believe as Christians that we're called to love and care for orphans, Sarah Thomas told Fox News recently. 
Soon after the post went viral, the Thomases agreed to adopt a child, but that fell through. To their surprise and joy, the mother decided to keep and parent the baby. However, their wishes of taking a child in were answered, and they told Fox News they are in the process of adopting an 11-year-old boy from Bulgaria. We recently felt God burdening our hearts for older orphans, especially boys who statistically are the least likely to be adopted. We're so excited to meet him, and we're amazed at how God has filled our hearts with love for this boy on the other side of the world. This child will not be the first entering their family through adoption. God has given us a heart for the fatherless, and three years into our marriage, we were convicted of our selfishness in waiting for children and obeyed God's calling to become foster parents. The Thomas family, who have a one-year-old biological son, have also adopted Caden, age three, through the foster care. Uh, So now they have Caden, three, and Elliot, one. The Virginia couple said dozens of mothers reach out to them, saying they decided to keep their babies after their post, which was shared over 17,000 times. I'm Facebook friends with many of the mothers that contacted me back in January, and my Facebook is covered with baby pictures right now, which Mm. makes me so happy, Sarah Thomas said. But she has received heartbreaking messages, too. One woman wrote to her, I wish I'd seen your post before I had an abortion. I would have given my daughter the life she deserved away from her abusive father instead of deciding her fate. And so Mm. this, again, personalizes the whole abortion conversation, right? It can always be about legislation and different things, but... Uh, This couple tried to do uh, even what probably at the time felt like a small thing. Let's post something on Facebook saying, uh, let me encourage you. Don't don't give up your children. We will take them Uh, wondering. um, And it's and it's bore some fruit out. So I I just love the uh, kind of putting your money where your mouth is saying I'm anti-abortion and we're going to even do what small part we can do. I wonder what would happen in our culture if individuals and churches took more of this tech. I think a lot of people are doing this. Though. I agree. I yeah. agree. I think what's what also kind of struck me, though, I never really thought about this piece. Um, it says that boys are statistically the least likely to be adopted. Mm. Like, that's pretty surprising because for most of the world, uh, it seems that girls are the most likely to be abandoned or aborted because of what it means to be mm-hmm. female in some of these mm-hmm. cultures. In fact, I think it was 2012, 2013, something like that. There's a documentary that came out. Uh, and it was called It's a Girl, the Three Deadliest Words in the World. Wow. And, it's, and it kind of talks about like how undervalued, particularly females and female babies are in a lot of these. I mean, it, it explores not just one country either. This is a kind of global phenomenon. I, I wonder why you think it's statistically more rare for boys to be adopted. Like, what is it about boys here, maybe, that creates that weird dichotomy? Yeah, and uh, the question is, it since they it, they adopted from Bulgaria, I wonder if that's just an Eastern European thing. I don't know. I wonder because, hmm. like you, I would think that boys would be more, um, more adoptable, uh, especially in countries like you said. We read all that stuff uh, about girls, and you know, like you referenced the documentary. So I don't know what that reason would be because I would think boys would be preferable. Uh, the way a lot of cultures you read about them, right? And so. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, encourage people. You said, I think you're 100% right when I said, oh, what would happen if the church or individuals did more of this? And you said, I think they are without using names. What are some anecdotal ways that you've seen people just because I think it might serve as an encouragement, but also spur people onto ideas like, OK, maybe I can do something. Maybe I can enter into here, whether it be, you know, churches getting together with CareNet. Uh, but other things that you've seen people doing. Yeah, I think even just with the presence, of, like I have a buddy, my buddy Jason started an organization called Love Moves Us as a way of coming alongside adoptive parents. Because it, it, the, 
the battle isn't just simply the adoption. Yes. Anyone who's adopted kids knows like, oh, wow, this was way different than I imagined or way more difficult than yes. I imagined. There's like, it doesn't just end with great. We got them adopted. That's a mm-hmm. huge part of it. And we could talk for a long time about how I feel about how expensive and arduous we make that. That yes. is infuriating for a lot of reasons. I get that there obviously needs to be checks and balances and some costs associated, but it's it, by and large, it seems like we make it far more difficult than it needs to be to get, kids who need parents into the arms of loving parents that mm. would love to care for these kids. That seems crazy to me. But so like what Jason did was to create these networks to help support other families who have now oh, successfully adopted, but are feeling underwater or they're feeling like if there's any kind of like, you know, racial difference between the parent and the child, that's a whole other thing to navigate. Or how do you, you know, how do you deal with things as seemingly insignificant as like glances and looks that they get when you're out at a restaurant, oh, you know? So like yeah. he's someone who's walked that himself and said, okay, there's, there's a need here. So it's not just that I see more and more people saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be really proactive about adopting, but other people who have come alongside and said, okay, now what do we do for the people that made that decision that yeah. are feeling way more underwater than they anticipated? I just keep hearing more and more startups and entrepreneurs and ministry leaders and pastors and even churches that are, are saying, okay, as a church, we, we know that there are this many hundreds of kids in our city that need to be adopted. Our, our church is going after it. Mm. What can we do? How can we help, whether resources or classes or dollars or any of those things? Like I yeah. keep hearing stories about uh, individuals, but also whole organizations and sometimes denominations that are saying, this is right out of the pages of scripture. We have to make this a priority. And I think mm. that, you know, much like we were you know talking about yesterday, sometimes I think the blatant uh, hypocrisy of our most famous figureheads in Christendom is a big reason why often people that are on the fence uh, have no interest. You yeah, know, we were talking yeah. a couple months ago about um, even in the, in the political sphere, like how little some of these millionaire politicians are actually giving Yo, to charities. Yep, like, yep, yep. How can you ask people to to do this thing when you yourself aren't? I think people yeah. often feel the same way about the church. Like, well, you know, why? how can you call people to this and then not actually be a part of the solution. So how would you, uh, how would you encourage people to start even they're sitting out there going, yeah, I'm pro-life. I want to do something. And I love everything Ian's talking about there. Uh, maybe one thing that will start them down the rabbit trail. Maybe do you have one piece of uh, uh, one spot you could point somebody? Yeah. So one thing that um, I know a lot of churches have done is participate in orphan Sunday. You can learn more at CAFO.org. You can literally just type into Google orphan Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like that is a very, uh, curated, easy way in any church context to say, okay, mm. here's even just some of the data here. And it's full of all sorts of resources. You can point people around. I would encourage you to check out my buddy's site, Love Moves Us, because even if you haven't adopted kids yourself, there's always need for financial support, for prayers, for resources, for people to host. You know, there's there's people doing these things that yeah. we assume like, oh, that's not really my story, so I don't need to be a part of that. Like caring for the orphan and the widow, it's right there. Like it's so... I just think it's so important that we, and I'm not saying you need to stop doing all the other cool things your church is doing, but this one to me just feels like, oh, that is, that's so clearly the heart of God for us to care for the marginalized and the most vulnerable among us. And this, I think, is a great place to start. That's really helpful, man. Wow. It looks like Orphan Sunday is coming up really soon. It's like November, November 10th. So mm-hmm. you can jump on it right there. If you want lots of good ways to help, what we appreciate about this story is people doing even something what's probably seems small to them, but trying to uh, trying to lean in and go, how can we help something that we feel so passionate about? Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show and find our podcast wherever it is uh, you get your uh, podcast. So uh, we touched on a story earlier last week, but it was just kind of in a segment, as you said, not uh, not any kind of we didn't really dive into it. That really tragic story of the death of Toby Mac's uh, son, 21 uh, year old, I believe his name was Truett and uh, Truett Foster McKeon. Uh, the son of Toby Mac. Toby Mac, many of you know, is a well-known Christian uh, artist. Uh, DC Talk, right? Yeah, yes. That was more of a question. I was like, I think. Yes. I think. And uh, his son, 21 years old, uh, had just started his own kind of hip-hop music career uh, and was found non-responsive and pronounced dead uh, probably a week or so ago. Uh, and so wanted to touch on it. And what I want to end up going is uh, a statement that Toby Mac made uh, on his Instagram page. But wondering, as it's been going on for you know a little bit now, uh, just kind of your thoughts about it. Well, just or is it just man, this is just an immense tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it's immensely sad. I can't even imagine going through something like that as a father, you yep. know, being kind of new to fatherhood myself still. It's like inconceivable to me to really that's the that's the part that's so hard when you hear a story like this where it's it's so outside of my realm of experience like I, I, there's not even anything close right to relate to it so with the added pressure of being you know a celebrity and in the limelight and i imagine people like you kind of make a statement you gotta have a release you gotta have a you know some kind of yeah i imagine that's got to only add to the difficulty of trying to navigate just unthinkable waters. And so like, I think for me, it's really twofold. My heart breaks for them and what they're experiencing, but it also breaks for the, the need to have to process this under a microscope. Yes. You know, that's something that I don't think any of us have any real context for. And that I, I imagine just has to add to the complexity of, of the whole situation. Yeah. Having to go through it under a microscope, like you said, people wondering, uh, you know, what happened? How are you doing? You got all these fans. It's gotta be hard because I would guess in a, uh, Lord willing, never go through anything like this. But when you go through something like this, my guess is you just want to <laughs> you want to close ranks around your family, right? right? And just kind of hide in a corner, I would. hide in a corner, if you will. Um, but Toby Mac shared on his Instagram page. He talked about uh, he was kind of thanking people for their support. Uh, he was also shared a final exchange between him and his son. Uh, there clearly been they've been working through some stuff. Toby Mac wrote a song called "Scars" for his son. Uh, not too long ago, but I want to I want to kind of read what he wrote, because I think there's something in there that that a lot of us really struggle with, that I think a lot of us struggle with as Christians, uh, especially in the face of tragedy. And I think it causes us to ask a lot of questions as to what do we believe when things go bad? So let me read it and uh, then let's chat about it. Toby Mac shared the final exchange on his Instagram page after uh, McKeon died. He added. My wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. And Toby Mac added that God is, quote, the God of the hills and the valleys. And so uh, that is really, I mean, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's that's impressive perspective. Uh, as a pastor, I'm wondering how that strikes you. And how do you see people, uh, whether it be yourself, if you've done it, or more so the people you've been around, as they're going through unspeakable tragedy, 
is this kind of the faith you normally see? Or is it more, I don't mean this to sound flippant, is it more transactional? Like, God, you didn't do what we what we needed, what we asked you to do, so therefore I'm kind of out. Because this is kind of impressive saying, this is the worst, but understand why we follow God. I, I do find this impressive. I, I find uh, fewer and fewer people who actually have a transactional understanding of God. I, I've been nice. very, very grateful and blessed and humbled by the conversations that I know that you and I both get to have as pastors. You know, we're often sitting with people in their grief yeah. and that is an immense privilege and something that I don't take lightly at all. I think there's obviously, and I would add understandable questions of why, mm-hmm. which echo the words of the psalmist, Jeremiah, and Job, why, why God, why would you allow? I think that is not only okay, I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy at times to look up to the heavens and say, did you, did you miss us? Like, did you, what's yeah. happening? What are you, are you sleeping on the job? Like, I think that frustration and that anger, I'll often remind people, it's not just like permissible. I think it's healthy and I think it's worship. I think, I think grief like this is as much worship as anything. Yeah. Um, the flip of that, this idea where he says, you know, we'll follow you if you bless us is sort of the heartbeat of the prosperity gospel. Yep. Right? do yep. this thing pray this prayer, face this direction, do this dance, and then God is like this celestial piggy bank, this yeah. piñata that he's now obligated to rain down on you everything that you've asked for. To me, so fundamentally misunderstands the life of this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, mm. as being formed as an apprentice into what it means to be a Christ follower. I, I think that that idea is so unfortunate to me, and I appreciate Toby... Uh, Toby Mac taking this opportunity to be pastoral in this moment. Absolutely. Because I imagine there's a whole lot of people who were waiting with bated breath to see what he was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. I've talked about this from uh, in sermons before where sometimes it's hard to fight the urge. I remember we went through uh, early on before we have our kids, we had some issues with miscarriages and stuff. And I've shared from the front, you know, in my most honest moment, I prayed to God like, hey, I'm on your team. <laughs> like, right. I work for you. <laughs> like, Give me a little bit back here. And and that's hard because uh, a lot of our relationships are transactional, right? Like, right. you know, I love you, you love me, or back and forth. How do you think we grow in the good times, in the times of peace, if you will, in the times where things are good? How do how does a faith in us, how do we gain this perspective so that when we when these hard times hit, We've got kind of that rock to stand on. We've got that firm foundation because this doesn't feel like something that you can just kind of flip on when things go bad. It feels like almost some deposits you're making. If somebody were to ask you, Pastor, how do I how do I grow that kind of faith? How do I have that perspective? What might be one or two things you tell them? Well, I would actually reference uh, his Instagram post from Thursday. Okay, he said uh, Truett Foster McKeon was uh, had joy that took the room when he entered. Uh, he was a magnetic son and brother and friend. He was by no means a cookie-cutter Christian, but give me a believer who fights to keep believing. Mm. Give me a broken man who recognizes his need for a Savior every time. That's who true it was and how he should be remembered. I think that idea of pushing back on the things that we struggle with but still continuing to fight, the willingness to say, my faith may not look exactly like everyone's around me, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think there is, like you said, there's not a switch that's flipped. I think it's a formation question. I don't think you just sit under one great teaching, one great sermon, <laughs> one great podcast about suffering. You're like, oh, I get it. I'll rejoice <laughs> in suffering now. I don't, think, I don't think that's it at all. As much as, as preachers, I wish 
that yeah. were the case. Like, I preached Philippians. What more do you need? I think it's way more <laughs> enigmatic and way more involved and way slower than that. Mm. Anyone that I've admired who's kind of made it to the other side of that, every single time if I you know ask them about their story, their life, there's a there's a slow patience in them mm. to the process, which you know stands right in the face of kind of our our desire for like microwave formation. Yeah. Anyone who's like walked serious suffering, like really been in the pit of the valley will tell you, you know, this is, it's a slow burn. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that is what a lot of us look for when we want to kind of achieve that level of maturity. We yeah. want to kind of just get to the destination mm-hmm. rather than, you know, walk through the difficulty that got them there. It is so hard because oftentimes it is in times of suffering that we find uh, the greatest growth and depth in our faith, yeah. but you're like, I don't ever want that. Like right. I never, I don't. Obviously, Toby Mac, we you know would never choose for this or you know name your tragedy, name your suffering. Uh, but the good news of many famous verses, you know, uh, think of Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Um, Toby Mac saying, you know what, I, I this is awful, but we don't praise God because He blesses us, uh, and you know. Uh, maybe as we close this out, what would be uh, one word of uh, piece of advice or word of encouragement to people who are going, I don't know what my faith is built on. How do you even assess that if you're not going through suffering right now? You know, Tim Keller had a great line where he said something like, whatever's on the other side of I'll follow you if mm. or I'll follow you when. He said, whatever you put in that blank is your functional God. And that was an exercise that I had walked our church through when I was at Poplar Creek, like not as a pithy one-off in a sermon. I said, yeah. no, it really takes some time. We're not going to even do it right now. What would fit in that blank for you? God, I'll follow you if. Wow. I'll powerful. follow you when. Be honest with yourself. It's not homework. You're not turning it into a teacher. But like <laughs> really ask yourself, well, okay, what is that word or that thing? Which may very well be a good thing. Yes. Right? God, I'll follow you if. You heal my son. Yeah. What parent wouldn't pray that for their son? Like, I don't think any, that's the thing. I think we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, it's, he's talking about like some awful addiction or yep. something that's kind yep. of robbed my joy. Like, no, and whatever we put in that blank, that is our functional God. And that's, uh, I think, a worthwhile thing to begin, you know, unraveling a little bit. That's a powerful question. I'd encourage you all to think that through. That's a great nugget. Uh, well, coming up next year on The Common Good, we're going to talk about five of the most misused and misunderstood Bible verses. That's going to be fun. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is one of your more dancing songs. Yeah, which you wouldn't think listening to it. It feels very sit in the corner and brood. No, it feels, I'm, I'm okay. I like this song. I'm not saying I don't like it. I like brooding songs. This is a brooding song for you, okay? Yeah, maybe not. The John brooding song, dancing song. Yes. (laughs) Classic Enneagram 4. This song is everything and nothing. Art is a lie. Art is a lie. Nothing is real. real. (laughs) Can you name that reference, Brian? We can't can't say who because we can't. Because then I'll go watch it. Art's still a lie. Nothing's still real. It's probably not worth... I mean, it is really... Never okay. mind. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, that voice you heard over there was PJ, our producer, producer John. And uh, we're glad that you are here with us today. Well, Relevant Magazine, we talked about them earlier today. They came out with what I found to be a fascinating list because they are the five, in their opinion, most misused and abused Bible verses. 
I'm a little nervous to read these because I'm wondering where I have misused and abused these along the <laughs> well, way. We've talked about this before, though. Yep. We both have, I'm sure. Yep. It says the word of God is abso- is an absolute necessity. Uh, all 66 books were inspired using 40 human instruments. Uh, Orthodox Christianity believes that in Scripture, in their original manuscripts, are without error and fault. But he says the Bible is not merely a collection of quotes or one-liners, but is literally the Word of God. When the Scriptures speak, God is speaking. That is why we must approach the Bible with extreme care and intentionality. How it is read, memorized, and quoted is of utmost importance. He says, however, Christians often misunderstand, misquote, or misuse verses in the Bible. For example, we may turn to the concordance in the back of wanting to find a verse on a particular subject, read the one suggested, find a favorite one, and then start quoting it anyway, (laughs) tattooing it on our forearm or whatever else. So this is their list. There's going to be others, I'm sure, but uh, this, I'm guessing, is going to be a little humorous and a little convicting. So, uh, <laughs> Can I say something first as a quick yes, caveat? And I've mentioned this before, I think. Uh, Warren Anderson, a dear friend, mentor, friend of the show, been on the show. Um, I made a post something like this a couple months ago, and as he often does, was sort of like, I see what you're saying, however... If an out of context verse is still bringing some kind of like hope or peace uh, to someone, is it not still valuable? And I was really convicted. I was like, "You're totally right." I'm being such a curmudgeon. So, like, I, all of this with a grain of salt. I think the article's right, but it is also, I think, worth saying that like it doesn't, you know, what I'll often say: the Bible was written for us, but not to us. I yeah. still fully believe that. Good scholarship is really important. However, sometimes even out of verse context, out of context verses can still have absolutely. Meaning. All right, absolutely. so I'll kick us off. You've probably heard this one, Brian. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Out of context. This verse has nothing to do with dunking a basketball, hitting a game-winning home run, bench pressing a bus, winning the lottery, or closing a business deal. In context. The Apostle Paul is under house arrest awaiting his trial where he may possibly be put to death for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. However, instead of being defeated by unfortunate circumstances, Paul is using the opportunity to teach the young church in Philippi that he can endure any Mm -hmm. and every circumstance, ups and downs, highs and lows, because he has the strength that only comes from Christ. His supernatural strength to endure all seasons and situations is always with Paul because the Holy Spirit of Christ is always with him, even in prison. Mm. So good. Number two, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Here Out we of go. context. Here we go. This verse is usually quoted as an encouragement to one another when there is low attendance for a worship service <laughs> or given as a benediction during a prayer meeting. In fact, if someone really wants to stretch this verse, they use it as a justification for skipping church to quote worship with their family at home right. while the football game is on in the background. I like this guy. He's pretty snarky. In context, this verse falls specifically within the context of church discipline That's right. and dealing with wayward believers. It is meant to be an encouragement to church leaders during tough times of loving confrontation to say that God would be present with the two to three witnesses as they are intentional in correcting and restoring a fallen brother or sister. Okay, so I know I was all just like lovey-dovey. This is one of them for me, though. It is. Because I hear it all the time. Hey, what the word says. When two or three two, gathered. Two or three are gathered. There's like, two of us here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to be in the back like, it's about discipline. It's about church discipline. It's not a call to worship. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm tapping on the microphone. Hello, I have something to say. I'm that annoying guy, I realize. That's right. helpful. Jeremiah 29, 11. I knew it was going to make the cut. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Out of context. This verse is typically given to someone as a sentiment during a difficult time or on a graduation card after crossing a stage, receiving his or her diploma or degree. 
as a standalone promise, it appears as though God exists to make to make us all popular, rich, healthy, <laughs> and powerfully well-known. God declares the American dream over my life. In context, this incredible promise is given not to an individual, but to a people group. Hebrews exiled in Babylon. God promised that he had not given up on his people and that even though things looked dire, they still had a future and a hope. So the word, quote, prosper doesn't refer to money or material blessings. It refers to physical and spiritual salvation. It's a beautiful promise that God is not done with his people and that their future and hope were only found in him. The promise is that he will see his plans through Mm. and his people get to be a part of them. Yeah, I like, oh, the good. In, I like the in-context one better. That yeah, one's good. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Number four, judge not that you be not judged. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. <laughs> Out of context. Here we go. We're living in a day that values tolerance above all, unless, of course, someone disagrees with our beliefs, <laughs> lifestyles, or opinions. Then we're extremely intolerant. <laughs> we may even boldly shout, only God can judge me. However, however, this is Tupac theology, not biblical theology. <laughs> you said that. Do you know who Tupac is, at least? I do okay. know who Tupac is, yes. Yes, or was. Yes. Oh, gosh. Or still is. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you tell I like to listen to conspiracy theorist podcasts? <laughs> yeah, right. In context, this verse is not a warning against speaking out against certain actions or behaviors. In fact, in other places of Scripture, we're told we'll know them by their fruit. Mm-hmm. We're also commanded in the Great Commission to make disciples, which right. includes helping others wage war against sin. However, Matthew 7 is a warning against self-righteousness and hypocrisy. If we're going to correct someone, then we must expect to be held to the same standard. If we judge with aggression, then we can expect to be judged with aggression. Even though we remove the plank in our own eye, Jesus still says we must remove the speck in our brothers. I want to snap for that one. (laughs) That'll preach. That's good. All right. You ready for number five? I am. If you're just joining us, what's the title of this? The five most misused and abused Bible verses. I'd love to know, by the way, if anyone wants to add a sixth, the seventh or an eighth. But number five in this article, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nation. I will be exalted in the earth. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Psalm 4610. This, this one hurts a little close oh, to home. Oh, boy. Yep. Out of context, honestly, the most common travesty committed toward this verse is that only a piece of this verse is quoted on coffee mugs, desktop screensavers with roses in the background, and paintings with a mountain. You'll see a section of this verse carved out of the whole thought. Be still and know that I am God. In context, here we go. The greatest justice we can provide for this verse is to actually quote it in its entirety. What an incredible comfort and reminder to know that we can be still and know that God is in control. As his people, we can rest in the truth that he will be exalted in the nations across the earth and there's nothing that can stop God from accomplishing his will. Everything God does and says is intentional. Every word in scripture is on purpose and placed in specific context that he desires. Therefore, we must be careful with the word of God and be intentional in how we speak his word. Mm. I think that is a great. And then he ends with second Timothy three, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. That's a good article. man. That is really good. Uh, guilty as charged on the screensaver, just saying, be still and know that I'm God. <laughs> no. Back in the day. Not really? currently. Okay. Not currently. <laughs> but you remember like more when you had like your desktop and the screensaver, it would just kind of like slowly go across, uh-huh. you know, and, like mine every now and then as a reminder, it would just come across, be still and know that I'm God. And I actually think that's a good example of what your friend said. Yeah. Uh, right. Taken out of context doesn't mean not helpful. Right. There, be still, encouraging people to be still and know that, they, right. that God is, is there, you know, totally. that's helpful. It just might not be what exactly Psalm 46. Well, I, think, I think preachers should more regularly remind people that there were not verses and chapters like there, this, mm-hmm. that 
that I think that small nod to the fact that like this was this was a letter, this was an oracle, this was part of a lineage, this was part of a genealogy, like including even those little touch points that we remember. Yeah, this was written by a, a, a historian named Luke. I think helps illuminate. Yeah. Like, I'm not anti-verse and chapters. I think that can be really helpful, but it can kind of unfortunately chop stuff up in a way that I think leads us to some of this proof texting and pulling quotables yeah, out of context yeah. or like forcing a translation, you know, Bible gateway has 47 translations. You're like what's the word, what's the one that has the what's version the of this works? that I like this yeah, the most? Like <laughs> that I think all can be really, really dangerous. Oh, that's, that's convicting. And, uh, that is also really funny. Yeah. I remember going to Wheaton and taking biblical interpretation for the first time Yeah, and being like, what, wait, what? <laughs> like having <laughs> exactly. Just, right. The mind blown, and that but you're still a Christian, helpful. though you survived it, right? Christian, like it was good. We don't need to be afraid of those things. That's so that right. Was helpful. So uh, check out those five verses on our Facebook page. Maybe you've got some to add to it. I'm sure that could get funny or a little convicting as well. So <laughs> go ahead and respond and give us some more. Well, coming up next, the hilarity that is the interweb insanity. The end of our show Woo. is coming up next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And that music can only mean one thing. It means we're at the end of this show. No. It does. And that might sound sad, but let me make you happy. Okay. We're about to read crazy stories. They're going to make us laugh. They're going to make us squirm a little bit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nice. Well How's played. that? People are like, wait, why is that funny? Why is it funny? <laughs> go to the podcast. Yeah. Go to the last segment. Good or plug. Here's a better one. Don't miss our show. Be here for all two hours every day. See, you just had to make it guilty. You just every had day. to. Okay. Don't yeah. listen to Brian, Third guys. Corinthians 4. We will guilt you. <laughs> we will not guilt you. Brian will guilt you. All right. You get to go first. <laughs> You're not going to guilt me into going first. <laughs> New Zealand man wins French Scrabble championship without speaking a word of French. That's awesome. <laughs> the newly crowned champion of French language Scrabble faced a unique challenge going into Monday's final in oh, something Belgium. Yeah, after he after he doesn't speak French at all. Nigel Richards, a of Christchurch, New Zealand, defeated a competitor from the French speaking African nation of Gabon. Gabon, two games to none. Richards who works as an engineer in Malaysia, is no stranger to the crossword board game. He was the world champion of English Scrabble in 2007. In 2011, won five U.S. national titles. Wow. And is considered one of the world's top players. His training involved memorizing the French Scrabble dictionary in about nine weeks. Oh, my goodness. Spokesperson for the Federation told Agents France Press that Richards now knows all French words that have two to ten letters, even if he has no idea what they mean. That is awesome. Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. <laughs> That's one of my favorite drops in a while. Guess where number two is from? Oh, also New Zealand. Wow. More like old Zealand at this point. American Airlines hit by cheeseburger shortage. How is this New Zealand? <laughs> American Airlines is ditching cheeseburgers from its onboard menu earlier than planned due to running out of meat patties. The airline is instead offering hot vegetarian entree pasta with tomato ragu. No, thank you. (laughs) In addition, the hamburger toppings, condiments, and chips are replaced with a side salad and salad dressing. 
Peruvian sweet peppers as a garnish and broccoli salad. Appet- Do they want nobody to fly that plane? <laughs> I know. I'm not going to. The shortage hit American Airlines due to its miscalculation about how many meat patties it needed to order based on the predicted monthly demand. Passengers who pre-ordered burgers using the airline's website will be left without any meal at all oh due boy. to the limited amount of vegetarian meals. American Airlines will be releasing its entirely new menu, which doesn't include burgers, in mid-November. Cheeseburger, 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 four Pepsi, two cheese. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. I don't like the use of meat patties, I'm not going to lie. I also don't know how that ever meant to be part of New Zealand. That's got to be a typo. Maybe not. All right, here we go. Tennessee. Scariest haunted house in U.S. requires 40-page waiver, doctor's note, and a safe word. Oh, no. No, thank you. You really don't want to do this. This is what every person must utter after failing to complete a tour of McCamey Manor. Russ McCamey owns and operates the most terrifying haunted house experience in America, one you're not allowed to attend until you watch a two-hour-long video, sign a 40-page waiver, create a safe word, pass a physical, and more. Why? Why would you... No idea. Okay. Featured on Netflix's uh, Haunters, Art of the Scare... In an episode of The Dark Tourist, McCamey Manor is a see-to-believe type of attraction. No, no thank you. The Summertown, Tennessee Horror House is so extreme, no one has ever successfully completed the experience. And yet, Russ says his new haunted show, Desolation, is his most extreme haunt yet. It's not as easy as just a bag of dog food you've probably gathered by now. The Manor's website lists seven must-do items before the tour can begin. No! God! (laughs) No, God, please, no, 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 no. <laughs> Good use of the office. No one has completed it. You also, part of the uh, part of the seven things, you have to be screened via Facebook, FaceTime, or phone. You that's can't just, wild. That's terrifying. No, it's, thank you. I would never, ever not, do that. Now I want to go look it up. Florida. <laughs> Secretive U.S. Air Force X-37B space plane lands after remaining in orbit on classified mission for more than two years. On October 27th at 3.51 a.m., the X-37B orbital test vehicle Mission 5 touched down at NASA's KSL, KSCLF after breaking its own record and spending 780 days conducting classified on-orbit experiments. The result is even more impressive if we consider that the space plane was designed for an on-orbit duration of only 270 days. As of today, the total number of days spent on-orbit for the entire test vehicle program is 2,865 days. You boys know what makes this bird go up. Funding makes this bird go up. That's right. No bucks. No buck rogers. (laughs) Yikes. All right. Last but not least, Scotland. Heat camera at tourist attraction spots woman's breast cancer. I saw this one. What? Yes. You did? Yes, I saw this story. A trip to a tourist attraction in Scotland turned out to be a life-changing moment for one woman after a thermal camera detected she had breast cancer. No kidding. Bal Gill, 41, was looking back over images from her trip to Camera Obscura and World of Illusions in Edinburgh when she noticed a heat patch over her breast. After making an appointment with her doctor, Gill was diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer. No kidding! But experts have warned that Gill was lucky and the thermal imaging cameras are not effective mm-hmm. in screening for disease. Oh, hell nice! Well, isn't that nice? That is a wild story, though. That is crazy. That is a wild one. Yeah, they're like, but this is not effective. Still get tested. Right, still, yeah, still get checked. Well, it's been a good day. We're glad that you joined us here on this Tuesday. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Where two or more gathered. 